0: everybody. Um, It's me, it's Baz. Um, I am your regular co-host on What Would the Smart Party Do? But of late maybe not quite so regular. Just wanted to give you an update on my whereabouts and what's going on in all things in my head. Um, I've had to take some time out from the podcast and from a lot of other things actually because of some health issues, specifically some mental health issues. I have some quite severe anxiety and I've Always had bouts of depression, and um, I'm in the middle of one of those kind of right now. Maybe in the back half of one. I can see some light at the end of the tunnel. It has not always been easy. One of the cruelest things about depression is it takes away your capacity to enjoy your passions. And clearly, one of my biggest passions, if not my biggest passion, is all things role-playing games. Hence, this podcast, amongst many other things of late um, my enjoyment for those things has completely dissolved away and I hope that it will come back I'm sure it will this has happened before and I'm sure it will be back compounding all of that is unfortunately in the last week I had news of the death of my father quite unexpectedly and that's never going to be a good thing and it piles on a few more pressures I'm sure you can imagine And I'd just like to thank publicly all of the amazing people who've sent me messages of support via Twitter, through direct messaging, Um, of course my friends and my family as well. You've all been incredible, guys, and it's really, really been lovely and touching. I've read every message. I haven't been able to reply to them all. There have been so many. So this is me thanking you now, if you are a listener to this podcast, which I'm sure many of you are. My dad was a funny old bugger, to say the least. I would like to be able to report that he always encouraged my gaming and that he was a fantasy fan and enjoyed playing games with me as a kid, but I can't report that that's true. He never really understood it. And um, to be honest, it wasn't really his bag. He didn't dismiss it or anything else like that, but it wasn't for him. He probably wondered why on earth at my late stage in life I was still interested in pretending to be an elf. He never really understood that. He didn't have to. That was okay. But what I have done is I've always used it to help me with my um, to help me with my anxiety and my social cues and so on. And I'm sure I'm not alone in that. I'm sure a lot of people listening to this have have had to use role playing as a bit of a crutch in the past, or just some light escapism. For some people, it's just a bit of lighthearted entertainment. For me, it was always way more important than that. Um, and This podcast remains a really important part of my life. I really, really need to thank Guy, uh, Matt, uh, Dirk, and all the other stunt bazzes who've ever helped me out when I've had times where I've had to step away from the microphone. And massive, of course, big thanks to my main man, Gaz. Paladin to my rogue, or is it rogue to my paladin? I'm not really sure, but the best, best man a guy could ever have. Thank you, Gaz, for holding the fork. And my biggest thanks has to go to you, the listeners, um, friends and listeners. You're all the same thing to me. I hope that we can talk again soon. I'll be back. But for now, I'll hand you back to the professionals. So please do keep listening to What Would The Smile Party Do? I massively appreciate anyone who takes the time to do that. And I guess I'll see you soon. And back to Gaz. Thanks, everyone. Bye now.
1: Hello everybody and welcome to What Will The Smart Party Do? This week it's stunt bass time again and after a week off we have once again the author of the Burn After Running blog, Mr. Guy Milner. How's it going Guy?
2: It's going really well, it's going really well. I, I enjoyed my uh, alter egos appearance. It's nice to be able to listen to the blog <laughs> and uh, Dirk's really clever isn't he? He knows he's loads good. of stuff. I mean, yeah. no, no offense to either of us, but he, he, he really knows his, his films and stuff, doesn't he?
1: Properly dives into his topic, which I like, yeah, but still says it in that kind of comfortable Lancastrian accent, and just <laughs> like he's an ebuncular figure having a fireside chat, but actually knows quite a lot of stuff.
2: Completely, yeah, yeah, nice.
1: Excellent stuff. Right, well, this time on the cast, uh, we we've seen a, a couple of other casts that have done things like uh, old school versus new school and uh, the cast talking about failing forward another new hot game tech that's come out in the last few years and things like that so it's about time i think we circled back to something where we kind of discuss what sort of gaming technology there is out there what uh, methodologies rules exciting bits and pieces you can take from the new cornucopia of those available and perhaps apply them to more traditional game like dnd or something like that because D and D, bless it. It's been around for a long time. It's been around since games began. But the core of it, if you look at the current DMG and player's handbook, is pretty much as it used to be in terms of the broad scope of all that role playing can be. Do you think I'm fair in saying that?
2: Yeah, I think it's um, the actual structure in terms of what bits the GM controls, what bits the player controls are pretty traditional, I think. I mean, there's, there's maybe some... Well, we when well, we talked to Justin Alexander, didn't we, a few weeks ago, there was a bit about how actually original old-school D&D was a lot more clear on some aspects of play than the new school is, really. Hmm. And then fifth edition maybe is. But yeah, the, the GM basically describes the world, players say what the characters do, and sort of never the twain can meet quite a traditional model. And as you say, it's... Even without playing sort of loosey-goosey indie hippie story games there's really easy techniques from those games that you could use to enrich your play and maybe cross that boundary a little bit um, to either just add a bit more interest to the game or go a bit further maybe and let players have a bit more control over what's happening.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think um, like some of the games that I might mention, I've got a couple written down here, but some of them are actually still quite trad, if we can use that word, but have included new ideas. That might bring yeah. things in. So, if a if a kid is up with something like Thirteenth Age, for example, that's that is my favourite version of a and D style game, probably. If I'm going to go down that route, but it, yeah. it's got kind of got some indie stuff in inverted commas that's like being bolted on, so it doesn't doesn't necessarily feel like it's seamlessly integrated with the rules. But there are things because they're bolted on. You can actually take them off and bolt them onto something else if you wanted to. So uh, one of the concepts I like in there is you have a uh, one unique thing. So this is a thing you come yeah. up with as a player that's unique to you and uh, no one else can gain it or whatever else, and that's a way of players immediately entering something into the game world that everybody else then has to deal with and and work towards as well and you could choose something crazy like I'm the only elf and then no one else in the world can be an elf then and there aren't any, which, which might make some of the old gragnoids spit the tea out and wonder what, how on earth <laughs> you deal with that but it could be something entirely different but I, I like that as a, a quick and easy thing you could apply to many games is You just come up with something cool that you want to happen in the game and uh, the GM takes it on board as well as all the other players as well and and sort of weaves it into what's going to happen in your campaign
2: yeah and and like you say it can be a nice interesting flavor thing that sort of replaces 20 pages of really dull backstory that no one's ever going to read or interact (laughs) with Um, but it can also be um, a really cool way to influence the story or the whole campaign so that example of i'm the only elf in the world immediately there's loads of questions like well how does that work like what what about what about is it the elf queen Well, the icons as an elf are, are they are they dead now you know what about the elf and nations you know what your entire campaigns can sort of shift and be based on that and as you level up in 13th age you can attempt to resolve those and a good one unique thing should sort of allow nice little role-playing opportunities and then also potentially big plot opportunities to to happen as well and i I would say it comes out even in i've run quite a lot of convention games of 13th age and it's the the same rule applies in 13th age you have your one unique thing and you can you can pick them for players or players can make them up and just making sure they come up in games is 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 a really cool way to get a little personalized experience for the group that are working Mm. out and like i say it could be either you're the only elf in the world it could be i think i I I, had, I played a series of games with some pregens where there was a gnome sorcerer that had like a prosthetic like magical cyber eye and things and different players who played him made different things happen with that eye and had different reasons why he had the eye and how he mm-hmm. lost it and had it replaced and stuff. And it just gives a sort of backstory element to the game that you're giving players permission to do that and bring it into the game and have it out of the table rather than your traditional backstory that you might have, which is saved in a word file and then email to the GM and then they read it, you read it, but it, it never comes out in there. Mm. Never never hits the table if you like like that. so all that fiction is doesn't actually hit the road.
1: Right, yeah. One of the challenges with writing backstories, especially extensive ones, is you're talking about things that's happened. Yeah. Whereas having a one unique thing that then asks questions, that's much more geared towards driving things at the table. There's nothing wrong with writing a backstory if you want to, you can do that fill your beats but what we want from i think some of the things we're going to talk about is stuff that's going to make the game sessions more exciting or interesting or give them more depth and things like that and you can only do that by like looking forward and asking open any questions or things like that you can't if you try and codify things too much or make it in the past you're yeah. kind of looking backwards and not what's currently happening at the table right now
2: yeah and i think i mean i'm, I'm in a dnd game about the fifth edition game in ryan the frost maiden so it's like published adventure everything's set and and we've it sort of ended up like One Unique Things. Each of the players has got a little bit of backstory that they've come up with that when they first did their characters was fairly sort of nebulous and, you know, not, not even a massive thing. So the Ranger had, oh, I've probably got a sword that I think is magical called Modak's Vow. But then you build on that and, like, the player doesn't really know where that's going and I don't really know where that's going as a GM. But last session, they found this big graveyard and, like, after fighting the gnolls off, there's a gravestone that says Modak Oathbreaker on it. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. This is the guy whose sword I've got. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know quite where that's going to go. I've got in the back of my mind, you know, spoilers for my d and group, a sort of Earthdawn style weapon that gets better as you discover more about it. But mm-hmm. that's the kind of thing. Start with a tiny little thing as your backstory and then it can develop in the game. Another character is a thief who's been selling people um, bits of real estate that he clearly doesn't own that just a, a a property scam and so he's now got like two assassins after him that we've just weaved into the uh, in the story but again we didn't know that when we came up with that idea it's just a a throwaway comment when we did character generation right yeah so that's the thing hold on lightly to those ideas and then you can develop in whatever way you want mm.
1: yeah Hot War's got something similar where it's got um oh, you picture a black and white photograph with a scene in it yeah. And then that's supposed to come up during the game but that that scene will come to fruition. It might be, you might be in it, another character might be, no one that you know might be in it. it could be a set of shady characters and then we yeah. work out who they are later, that kind of stuff. It
2: probably is shady characters Not War, isn't it? it M- more is likely than not, to be, yeah, to be fair. They're no
1: heroes, yeah. <laughs> but not only a PC, I meant. <laughs> yeah. A, sh- a shady non-player character yeah. rather than a shady player. Yeah, but that, that again is another way of doing that sort of thing. But doing it visually. So that... Again, for people who might not want to put words around stuff or feel the need to write two pages of backstory, the time someone asks for an idea, maybe if you, if you view it as I don't know, in D&D it might be a painting or a tapestry or something you come up with. But if you just come up with a, a thing, and then everybody around the table knows they're going to work towards that at some point. When they see like, even when they see clues towards it or something that it might be or where it might be, people will start naturally drifting in that direction and try and make it happen. And I think that that's just a different way of doing the same sort of thing of. of Presenting a, some future thing that's going to happen and, and try to get people to, to work towards it in a... Not, not necessarily driving as the primary goal of the campaign or anything like that. There might be a plot that Jim's got and all the rest of it, but having extra bits and pieces. It's like having little side quests in computer games or you know the little lines that run through TV shows and things like that with other things going on.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think that's... Um, and, and it doesn't have to be something that's just at the start of the game either. It could be something that goes ongoing as well um, where you might have things like... Um, just That conversation at the end of a session about what kind of thing do we want to see more of, st- mm. sort of stars and wishes type thing, and you might well get a, a situation where it's like, oh, I'd quite like to, you know, I, even if it's really basic, like I quite like to fight a fire giant, we saw one off in the distance a few, <laughs> a few weeks ago. <laughs> as a GM and as players, you can sort of work towards that, or it might be that you want to explore one part of it, and it, it gives that sort of um, what you want to do. I know that in terms of the sort of creation thing, um, in terms of I know that Smallville, the role playing game. Had this pathway creation system, didn't it, where you um, you kind of went through steps and built up a relationship map for the PCs and NPCs and so on. It was quite an involved process to do it. Unknown Armies does a similar thing, where mm-hmm. you sort of build up this whole conspiracy of what's going on with the world. There's a, I think this is dangerous, isn't it? As I haven't googled it, but I think it's you and Clooney did a sort of system agnostic version of that that you can get called Entanglements right you could use it with D D, or use it with vampire use it with whatever sort of trad game to take through a, a, a few steps and say right who, who do you know now it takes you through creating some locations some important contacts and so on that then as a player you've got right i know where my character is in the world and why they know the other players and as a as a gm you've got well this is this is where people are and i can bring all these people in to the plot so yeah. you know when the big bad has to kidnap someone I've got like I've got four NPCs on here that could easily be kidnapped that the players will want to respond to because we've already established that they're they're close to on that
1: yeah yeah I see it's giving giving the players a stake in the game isn't it or giving the player characters a stake oh, yeah. certainly and I think that's that's something messy and you've seen bits and pieces around I think we are sort of like pushing towards session 0 mentioning here and, and yeah. that gets the term that gets bandied around a lot but that that's a thing that can happen in a session zero, and I think it gets missed quite often when people do a session zero. They think it means we all just sit around and make characters on our own, and then tell each other what we've got at the end of it. And that's not really the point. The point is to kind of like get everybody on board with what the game's going to be about, uh, what sort of things are going to be in, what aren't going to be in. You know, try and build characters that work towards the premise that we're deciding for the sort of campaign we want to run. That kind of stuff. So yeah, some of these tools work towards that, but I think session zero itself is a thing that people can definitely bear in mind, even if you're playing D and D. You know. Like, why are your characters together? And what is it they want from life? What, yeah. like what goal have they got? You don't have to do that. You can just make some random characters individually and go and do whatever the GM says. But you, you're giving yourself a lot more chance of being invested in the game if you all have a little uh, finger in the pie of the creation of the game you're going to run. And play. Yeah,
2: I think, I think in Session Zero, almost the actual character creation is, in some ways, the least important part of it. It's, right. you know, genre expectations and so on. It's almost... It's almost more important to do that when you're playing a game where you might think you've got a shared idea of genre because I know that mm-hmm. I, I know that I'm running really in Star Trek and i have run Star Wars games in the past and like everyone knows what those franchises are and knows what they are, but for both of those, I think I had a very, one of the steps that we did in session zero was have like a yes list and a no list mm-hmm. so in Star Trek we don't want any time travel nonsense like just we don't want. We have no time travel nonsense, no sort of Q or ultra-powerful Q-Q. beings uh-huh. and all that, and, and have just a clear idea. And it may be that, as a GM, you think that's really interesting, but a, a, a couple of the players are like, oh, I don't really fancy that. And you can have that discussion and, and, and set those expectations there and then so you know what's going to happen and where it is. And then once you've got that sort of palette agreed, it then frees you up a little bit to maybe for players to make stuff up in the moment as well. Hmm. So there are lots of techniques you can use in game to hand over a bit of narrative control. So one of the things that is used a lot in, I mean, the, the, well, the best iterations I've seen it is, is in um, Gauntlet Publishing um, Jason Cordova is the between where it has um, sort of pointed questions where when you come to a new location, you ask the group a question that's sort of a leading question, but it lets them give little details to it so you get to the old mansion house like how can you tell that this family are living beyond their means you Mm -hmm. know and and everyone or or just the players that want to can give a few details that just make this a a much more richer setting than if you as a gm had written down a massive creepy paragraph of stuff to do and you can use that in other games. I've used it. I'm going to pick another Gauntlet Publishing game, Hearts of woolen But in my, um, I've got Hearts of willing game that I've run a few times at Cont, It's it's on the blog as well, available for you to uh, you to run. Um, Hearts of Wulin is like a Wusha game. This is a game where you are travelling to defend a mountain pass that's got a, a tea house in. And one of the starting questions that two of the players get because they sort of start separated is right. Why is the emperor trusted you to take this order to evacuate the the village? and why are you not going to follow the order so mm. that kind of question that it gives players license to make that make things up about themselves but also maybe about a deeper part of it and yeah that is sort of railroading because we've already established that they're not going to do the thing but you take ownership of it now and, and that becomes part of your character development about your character's thing about why we're not going to do this and why that why that twist is happening
1: mm. yeah definitely and you've got things as well like uh thinking back to the Mountain Witch and, and Cold City and stuff like that that have trust mechanics basically where uh, in Mountain Witch you're all ostensibly going up the mountain to kill this witch but then there's a whole host of different reasons why the yeah. samurai are there and, and like, I don't think any of them are actually there to kill the witch, maybe one is, but like most of them are like, do something completely different with her. Uh, but yeah. I like that kind of ostensible setting and then there's something else going on. I, I think probably the, the sort of thing with the between and those sort of games, we're talking about making that more open yeah. So instead of it being a hidden thing and risking players kind of like going down their own lonely fun paths and not saying he's like really just like coming up out front saying what we're we doing and that kind of thing. But Something i have done with Hot War and that that's more relationships than trust, but uh, you can run that open or closed either. So that, that's another thing to think about. Whether it's your backstory, whether it's these things we're talking about here, do you tell the other players? And if you don't tell them immediately, it's, it's definitely worth making it emergent through play. Yeah. So, you know, I've played no end of con games where someone comes to the end of the game, they go, ah, I was the spy all along and no one found me <laughs> out. And it's like, like, you never mentioned anything. And we, you we know anything. nothing about <laughs> <Yeah>. you. <laughs> I know in your head you think you've won, but yeah. uh, you said nothing for four hours, so well done you, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so you, it's kind of like your job as a player, I view it anyway, to get stuff that's on your character sheet out at the table. Yeah. So lucky for mechanics that will do that. And even if there aren't any, doing it yourself anyway and coming up with cool things is, is like part of the job, right?
2: Yeah, it's interesting still about trust mechanics because uh, Knights Black Agents, which is, you know, a otherwise very, very trad game, I would say. I mean, that may be doing it a disservice, but it's very traditional sort of you've got you've got an adventure and you go through it and it's... There's
1: uh... it a gem, there's dice. <laughs> yeah, I yeah,
2: know, yeah. You can't like, you know, you, you can't, there's a limit to how much narrative control you can have when it's an investigative game and there's layers to it and so on. But that's one of the variants in that has got a really good trust mechanic where you can call on your bonds with the other players to get a little bonus or if you betray them, you can get a massive bonus. Right. So it, it sort of dangles that carrot out in front of you at all times, so you can think, oh, actually, actually should I do this if you, if you go behind them? And and, and that can lead to some really kind of dramatic moments in, in terms of how that works. Yeah. But as you say, even just having a basic Bonds thing of like, I think Dungeon World did a, a, a really good example of it that you could use in any fantasy game where each class has got like three, three or four statements and you just fill in the blanks for another player character. So... The Mm -hmm. fighter's got sort of, you know, X has patched me up after a battle um, too many times I can care to remember, and Y threatens the natural order of the world with their fell magics or something. There's a not great examples, but Dungeon World has better ones. Um, But even just like who's got your back and who do you not trust in the group, and that can be asymmetrical in terms of your players doing it. You can do it at the start in a session zero. You can do it just at the beginning in a con game Mm -hmm. to get people to work out a bit of a bond between them. And then that provides a bit of juice for interplayer role-playing where or inter-pc role-playing where when two of them go off to you know investigate and talk to the little old lady about the ghost that they've seen they're not just talking to her they're also talking to each other and you can have mm-hmm. little 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 respite scenes or scenes where there's just the player characters around where they're actually role-playing and talking to each other and you get a bit of background there um, that just adds a bit of sort of depth and versimilitude is that even the word i'm not i'm not sure if that is a setting but anyway i've said it now Um, and it it gives some good stuff to your game of people getting into it and it feels a bit more like a dramatic story between killing the orcs and taking their stuff
1: yeah I know some people like shy away from apocalypse world style games when they hear that the natural inclination is to run the screen into the hills and behind the gem screen but um, even like more recent trad games like uh, most of the free league stuff for example yeah, so Vason and, and Tales from Loop and all them kind of games have that kind of thing of such a body is my best friend I'm secretly in love with such a body whatever and having them like from the basing game that we played quite recently with a sunday group like that there's just loads of bits that meant that when we were going for what be, would be a normal scene we just had an extra bit of ammunition to do a bit of role playing so i remember my character and alex's had gone into a bar and there was all kind of like rough locals around and my yeah. my character was quite used to that environment that was already established and his wasn't but he kind of like implicitly trusted me <laughs> yeah. and i kind of like yeah. left him on his own at one point because i knew he'd be like you know he's well out of his depth but those sort of things all really came about from a couple of one liners on our character sheets. Yeah. And, and as you say, like it doesn't need to be uh, a load of stuff or using some like crazy mechanics you're scared of, like it can be literally be a couple of lines and you just lean into them and try and hit them as often as you can instead of just walking straight to the bar and going, I'll roll investigate, or we just do that. <laughs> you know, you can just have a little bit of banter between the characters that yeah. just sets up the scene and that. That what ultimately became Rolling Investigate to find out what the the, yeah. the is new was just a bit more rich and interesting for the dynamic that our two characters had between each other.
2: Yeah, and it gives you some stuff as a as as a GM as well because I think when you're running a game like that, you you sort of have in your mind the character of the like the person at the bar who's going to tell them the, I mean it's Vason so it's probably going to be a legend of the, the the old ghost who lives in the hills or whatever it's going to be <laughs> going to be about the Vason so you kind of know that but. If there's another conversation going on, it's really easy to sort of drop that in in a more natural way, rather than a right. I'll read out this massive block of text information right. that you'll do, or I'll read it out bit by bit, and then you'll ask me for some more, and then I'll read out a bit more. You can actually sprinkle it into conversation. It feels a bit more like more like a scene, and more like we're we're role playing and and doing that. Um, I I do think I do think that sometimes you need to be a bit careful too about about having those sort of narrative, either descriptive or interstitial role-playing scenes in games that that you you need the core activity you get of the game as well i know that i i'm a person who i like to see the dice at the table yes you know if there's rules i want to engage them a bit so it's nice to have a mixture of those and then some playing so in Vaisen, i'd expect to have that role playing make you know make that investigate role maybe face some sort of perilous situation if it went wrong a bit of sort of fighting the vason and, and trying to not be scared and stuff, it, but interspersed with that. So there's a, mix of, there's a mix of sort of both kinds of gaming. It's not, it, it, what, we're, what we're talking about isn't like throw out your monster manual and just have everyone sat around talking <laughs> in the pub all the time.
1: Hello, Critical Role. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Going shopping for three hours. It, it's, it's in between the bits where you're going down the mine and fighting the kobolds you also have really and when you sat around the campfire you know make, when you make camp which can be quite a dull procedural or not even procedural uh, moment in a, in a fantasy rpg um you've actually got a little you can you can pause and, and put a little scene in that adds a bit of depth to the story and gives a bit of, that's quite a good way to share backstory as well, isn't it? Just have, yeah. you know, in a moment, in the, a moment of respite. So, right, okay, what what are you talking about? What does this situation remind you of? And it, it, it also, I know some players say, some players aren't aren't keen on doing that and aren't keen on talking to character. It it, it doesn't have to be a, we go round everyone in the table. It can be, you know, two or three players who want to can share something. In the d game that I'm running again, um, we've got a, a sort of wide range of experience um, from players who've played for like 30, 40 years to players who've played for like, well, this is their first game ever. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, they've got experience in video games and so on, but this is their first game ever. So obviously there's a level of, levels of confidence there in terms of what they do. And it's fine. They, they want p- People can lead by example and people can wait and, and join in later and you don't have to force anyone to make up stuff they don't want to. But often when you do that, when you, when you have it modelled, people will, get in get involved and do it and in, in that example my experience with new players is that they they just crack on with it and do it it's mm. it, there's not that sort of barrier because they've not got used to sometimes you can get used to that very traditional the gm makes up stuff and i respond to it and i can only describe what my character does i can't describe anything else in the world and um, if you're new to the, new to gaming you probably haven't got that like hardwired training, into you. whatever, yeah, yeah you're, you're you're expecting it to be a bit weirder because you've maybe played video games or board games where that is the case and you're expecting to be able to do a bit more than that
1: hmm yeah and you can you can use it a bit more like i'm thinking about in in basin for example that you can clear conditions if you spend a scene yeah. with other characters so you just have your little bit of banter and then you get your conditions back up. there's a mechanical effect but you can apply that to D when you're in a short rest I mean like yeah. when I play d generally people's got kind of a camera short rest now and just do the mechanical bit it's a bit more interesting if you could chuck a few words around it as well as to what you actually do uh, I mean you don't have to but like if, if you're not doing you might as well play a computer game at that point point. And, and the other thing you can kind of do is if you've got like X person always has my back or I don't trust person Y or yeah. whatever you can use that in a fight like when, when you are fighting the cobbles or whatever you're doing if someone's like in danger but you're like I've never trusted him then maybe your character doesn't go over and help him or, you know, he's a bit sluggish at doing it. Or maybe if you've got, I always, I've always, i always got such a person's back, then even if it be suboptimal move by the rules of the game to do it, you might move over to help them out anyway because that's just part of the thing that you've established yeah. in the fiction.
2: Yeah, maybe there's a moment in, you know, like if you're watching a film where it all sort of slows down and you see the sort of thought bubbles almost and, <laughs> and see that process and you have that pace in the game and in the scene and yeah. it just adds adds a real kind of depth and richness to it.
1: Yeah, and you, you can add it kind of like, uh, for those sort of like round-by-round games, I like to do a little recap at the end of a round to yeah. say what's happening, just somebody has got it in their heads, and you, you can frame that in the same sort of way, like, oh, Jeff, you know that Luke is in real trouble, like the couple's <laughs> going to like kill him now, you've said you've always got his back, but you're on the other side of the cave, what's going to happen? I don't know, let's roll dice and find out. Roll an issue, woo! Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can just add it, add it to your own narrative to make it more exciting.
2: Yeah, yeah, there's lots of, there's lots of good things. One technique that I've been trying um, recently and it works quite well is I think I think a lot of the time you do that thing where when players are in a fight, if they, if they do sort of the death blow, if they hit and roll damage, you can say something as the GM, like, all oh, right, well, that's the orc down. Like, how does he die? What awesome death, like, finishing move did you do? That's sort of one level of it that's quite an easy way to do it, and that works because there's no worry about what, like, describing something wrong that might contradict something in the GM's head because we know the outcome, the orc's dead. Like, it doesn't really matter what else happens you can just describe how that works mm-hmm. another thing that i've started trying to do can't remember where i picked it up from is describing allowing getting players to try and describe failures so you're able to you know climb the wall or pick the lock um as a thief they fail and then you hand it up to them and say well okay why you're, you're a really good thief and craftsman why what is it that's distracted you or what potential thing is it i know we had it in um a few weeks ago when I was running, uh, Woofrup, you're, you were, I think it was actually you were playing the Halfling Thief, weren't you? Right, everyone yeah. else makes the sneak check to get out of the house in time. Um, your thief doesn't. And so it's sort of, well, well, how how does this sort of unexpected moment in the game play out? And I think I think you came up with, oh, the kitchen was like really well stocked and too enticing. So you yeah, had, like <laughs> had to stop for a pie and everyone else is dragging <laughs> him out, like sneaking away from that. So again, that works because the outcome, the outcome and, and the stakes are sort of set like probably nothing's going to happen massively, you know you're not going to contradict something that the GM's got planned right. in future, you don't know success sometimes, it's time for the GM to give you some information, with failure often it's not um, it also softens the bow a bit about about failing a role because you've still got that, You can, you don't have to make the reason you failed your character's incompetence and just right. they were rubbish you can give them sort of an excuse or something else that adds depth to it and makes it a bit more believable, or I suppose it's emergent narrative, isn't it, there? Yes. You weren't expected to fail, but you did. Why is that? Let's explore that a little bit.
1: Yeah, yeah, I do that all the time. Why does he die? That's that's the yeah. point, because, I mean, sometimes, as, as GMs, people can say things like, oh, right, yeah, you hit him, and you do four damage. What, what does it look like? I don't know how many hit points has he got. <laughs> like, uh, if he's yeah. got five, then he's nearly dead, and if he's got two hundred, then it doesn't matter. So, like, like, yeah. I need some information. So, it does have to be points of time where you go, like, you know, he's dead. What happens? <laughs> like,
2: yeah, and there's and there's a few techniques to it, aren't there? I know. I think it. I think it's Robin Laws Feng Shui that originally had the thing where in Feng Shui where he had the thing where you can sort of start describing your action, then roll to hit, then finish off the description is the the way to do it. Uh, so you can actually and 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 there's a technical thing about that that that's that's why for me making like creatures armor classes and the score you need to get to hit them public really helps like yeah don't hide that they're ac 15 let players roll that they know they've hit them and they can they can say it and do that and and that that just gives you a little bit of scope to see sort of where it is and, and add that little bit of narration in the in the game
1: yeah, I mean, and that sort of stuff comes out anyway, doesn't it? Like, you know, one player rolls a sixteen and it missed, and one player rolls a seventeen and it hit. I guess yeah. they're a seventeen then. Like, well, what's the point of keeping it quiet? Like, it will come out through the dice rolls anyway. Yeah, I think we we, we did a lot of that kind of narrating stuff because it's built into the system in Argon, the John Harper game about Greek heroes, where you and this is the challenge of these these sort of techniques is like not describing too much up front. Cause it's tempting to go like, oh, I'll backflip over the table and I draw my sword. There's a swishing sound. And I lunge towards his neck and and you do all this stuff and then you miss. Like yeah. so, there's there's, there's an to like saying the minimum out up front. Like uh, I'm gonna make a flourished attack towards his throat or something. Yeah. And then it's once you've rolled the effect, you can sort of describe how that looks. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm totally on board with the idea as well of like not making yourself incompetent. Like I said that like too many times the players go oh well I guess I'm shit then and throw their yeah. arms in there or dice across the table or something and salt. Yeah. it's like now well maybe you know the orc slipped at the last minute and your sword skims across the top of his head or whatever it might be some unfortunate circumstance occurred yeah. that meant otherwise you would like don't necessarily put your characters down if you don't have to. Yeah. Just provide a bit of interest and flavour and background to what's going on this dynamic fight that you're having.
2: Yeah, I mean especially if you're playing Wufferup because if yeah, well, you, God, you're yeah. going to be thinking that a lot if that, <laughs> <laughs> that's what you're about. Like, there's, 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 there, it's low fantasy, isn't it? You know, yeah, you, you are going to be failing those like 30% chances quite a bit. You need to you need to get your head around that and have some excuses ready for it, really don't you? <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean in is it's fair to say rubbish. I think my, my Hobbit or Halfling Rather's got like 26 weapons so yeah three quarters of the time without them even dodging i'm i'm yeah. not looking great it's very true um i get i'm not sort of like balance of well of um succeeding and, and failing i'm also thinking about things like fate and having aspects yeah and, and what makes a good aspect in that game or any game is something that could be a positive or a negative so i guess that's the other thing to think about when you're doing backgrounds or backstory or introducing bits about your character it's like can it be seen in two different ways from two different lenses? Yeah. So when it's good, you describe it one way and when it's bad, you describe it a different way maybe, or um, having something that other players might be able to have a different perspective on, for example. So um, like, it depends what sort of game you're playing and whether you have aspects or not, or choose to introduce them. But uh, you might think about that in terms of like advantages and disadvantages. An advantage might be that you're heroic or whatever, but like think about how that could also be a bad thing in certain situations. So, as a GM, you might think of placing other characters or NPCs in peril that hits the heroic yeah. advantage so it makes them go for it and stuff like that. And, and similarly, look at the disadvantages and think about how might that help them in certain circumstances or not be you know, you look at ways to flip it. So, I guess you're looking at things that are on the character sheet and not necessarily trying to like hold things just black and white and always good or bad. But look at different ways you can approach each thing that's on there to, to bring something new out with it but it will still define the character because it's their aspect or advantage or whatever it is but how can you approach it from different angles to make it more interesting
2: yeah yeah and I think I mean Fate, fate does that by making aspects have like mechanical heft whatever but it, it's easy to hack that into a more trad game so for instance talk about d and a lot the whole D&D thing in 5th Ed about inspiration about when you get it and when you when you spend it even how you spend it on a virtual tabletop is a bit awkward because you often have it set up to roll advantage by default so you kind of know if you're going to roll advantage or not that you'll get it Um, and and i think rules is written it's for like good role playing which is just rubbish doggy biscuit stuff isn't it i'll Mm. i'll decide when you've done good role playing um, and (laughs) you don't very easy to to just say actually you'll get inspiration when you hit one of these triggers or when you play up to your aspect or when one of your your background yeah, or whatever things it is yeah that you get. yeah back one of them's background is when one of those four yeah. things comes up and gives you trouble um you'll get inspiration or whatever and then then you can yeah do or, or, or in whatever game you're playing give a little boost of a Benny or a fortune point or whatever um for when when that comes in
1: yeah and, and it's kind of looking for opportunities to use those things yeah. and, and bring stuff out of the table as well isn't it so like if your background or whatever is like they used to be in the army it's easy to then like have the guy in the puppies who's giving you a mission be yeah. someone who you used to serve with or whatever. Uh, it could be that there's someone who felt like you betrayed them or whatever, or you ran from a battle when they didn't and they turn up at some point as an antagonist.
2: Yeah, yeah, the guy you've just beaten up, it turns out, was in your regiment, and you've got... To, oh, no, right. As he sees his...
1: medals spill out from his tunic or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, the one, the, one he won, the one he won by saving your life, all those days, like, Oh, no. As the last of his blood drips out of his... Yeah. <laughs>
1: really stick that emotional knife in, yeah. And other and the players can do it as well. I mean, that's the... We've mentioned on this cast before about playing up. Yeah. But if you know someone's an ex-soldier, then you can tr- like include that in things you ask or things you say about the character, or if you see some other like dunno militia or town guard or something go oh, well, you're, you're the soldier monks and you'll know how these guys work on shift patterns or like yeah. uh, what how, how capable they are in a fight, like give us some clues. And you can ask other players in character about things that their character should know about. It doesn't matter if the player doesn't. Yeah. Depending on your table they can either make something up if you're into that, like the unique thing we're talking about. Or you can like they can just like lean to the gym and go, you know, what what league yeah, I I yeah. or yeah. what you know, tell me what I should tell the other players in my own words kind of thing.
2: Yeah, yeah all good all good um one one thing that i quite like and we've talked a bit about having about having aspects about having backgrounds and so on and about the importance of getting that to the table one thing that i do in one shots and um, quite a lot for generally for like cinematic games there's that bit of the start of a session where you introduce your character and describe your character i always find that can be quite dull mm-hmm. particularly at a convention because you've just given someone a character sheet and so they're going to say, oh, well, he's, like, he's got a sword, he's got a backpack, he's an elf. Yeah. Um, he, he looks to be pretty good at combat. You know, you get yeah. all this sort of like qu- quite dull stuff that doesn't tell you anything about the character. Mm-hmm. So one thing that, that, that I like to do is have, it's like the 80s TV series opening. So like Quantum Leap right. and Robin of Sherwood and stuff, how, how those shows used to open would be with a, a montage of clips from the whole series. So you'd see your character doing all the awesome things that they were going to do in the rest of the series. And then like the name and, and the actor would pop up next to it. And so doing that in a, in a con game or one shot of 13th age or Feng Shui is really cool. So like describe your character doing something awesome or yeah. describe your character doing something from the last adventure that you did. And often if you do from the last adventure that you did, what happens is the players will naturally end up joining those scenes together. So the barbarians mm-hmm. like ripping someone's head off on top of a pile of zombies um, and then then we see that scene from another angle and the wizards like patching somebody up or or, or casting a fireball to, to banish the demon or something and you mm-hmm. end up with this whole you know you've got this whole adventure they've already done and they've got this shared experience that players have, have just made up and doing that at the start of a session as well sort of gets everyone's narrative chops warmed up in a in a non-confrontational way in a way that like no one's gonna tell you that it's wrong because this has already happened and it isn't part of the game but um, just gets everyone used to right. I can describe awesome stuff for it, and sets that standard so that when you start, um, when you start an action scene, and you, 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 you as a GM might be looking out for good descriptions and hoping that players will bring them. That's already been primed, and they're already thinking in those terms. This is a cinematic game, right? So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to describe myself doing something awesome and make it look good. And um, one of one of the worst things I think you can happen can happen in any game is. Where you get and it used to happen, I used to. I don't know why it used to happen in D and D third edition loads. I don't think it happens as much in fifth edition. Is that thing where you have combat that ends up happening in silence? So <laughs> players like silently move their minis across the grid, and then right. they roll a d twenty in silence because it's oh, obvious no. they're attacking the orc. Right. and then they roll the damage, and then they say, "Yeah, hit him," and that's it. <laughs> and then, oh, that's terrible. And, and there's just there's no. I, I think some of the the need for gridded movement meant it happened a bit more in my experience in 3rd edition games, but mm-hmm. you can still gotcha. drop into that after a couple of rounds, you can end up with alright, yeah, I've come out, I've, I've used all my description in, I'm going to just stay here and hit the orc, and uh, <laughs> yeah so I mean some of that is, is having engaging action scenes where things are happening each round and the situation's changing and it's not, mm. you, you, it, it, where you're not able to just stand there
1: you know, in an arena with <laughs> yeah. six yeah. orcs yeah. there's, there's like,
2: or there's, there's stones falling from the ceiling or lava erupting or something that means that more stuff is happening.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and that's another one that's definitely worth checking out Feng Shui for because a lot yeah. are that's built around having action scenes. So, like, if you just check out one of the adventures or stuff in the book, like, there'll be a list of 20 things that are on the scene that then you're expecting players to then grab hold of and use or create their own ones. But there's no reason why that can't be D&D as well. Like, yeah. there, there should be interesting things. You can't, you know, you might say it's just a torture chamber, but yeah. you might also describe, you know, the rusty implements that look like they could be thrown easily or the. The cage that's above you that's like angling by a rusty chain yeah. that looks like it's about yeah. to snap at any minute, and that kind of thing. You know, uh, the plague of rats that are around somewhere, some as big as dogs, they might get involved. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. just, just chuck things into a, a scene to make it more interesting.
2: Yeah, I mean, Feng Shui is a really good example of there's just loads of really good GM advice in it. And I think it's probably because it was a really, really cutting edge game when it came out in the 90s sometime. Now it's a reasonably trad system, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But. So much of that GM advice you can apply to virtually any game that's come out now. Yeah, I know that I've run one shots of, uh, of of really quite traditional games using all the Finkway set of, set of rules and and all that. That GM advice chapter is absolutely golden about, particularly about fight scenes. And like you say, think of this: think of what's in the room, not in terms of what's there, of what's going to happen when it all kicks off. Yeah, yeah.
1: It, but, but it is tempting to go on about like how many doors there are and what the tapestry is like and all this kind of stuff but if you're not going to use it in a fight or whatever's yeah. going to happen then yeah let it fade into the background a little bit and let people ask for it. Um, talking to throwing things and I guess the other one from Sorcerer, which is again a game from back in the day but like has been incorporated in well, a lot of things have been incorporated in newer games but bangs yeah. is a yeah. thing which is uh, to say it's a bit like throwing a grenade in. like you'll have something that demands action that you throw into the game it's kind of the old literary classic of men with guns walking when you can't think what else to do with your plot. So depends how you do your games, but they're well worth having and considering as well. Like You'll just have a, a bandolier, I think uh, Ron Edwards called it when he was writing originally, a bandolier of bangs, which sounds weird. But it'd be a bunch of things that you can throw into the game that will demand yeah. action off the off the PCs, basically, off the players. And you can narrow that down or refine it in certain ways so you can have like one for each player if you look at a yeah. character sheet or the background or something they're interested in and have one that at certain points you can throw in and go okay Jeff your old buddy from the, the army's back he wants to know where sergeant Teflon's gone yeah he's come back to see him to grab have that reunion but apparently some some blackguard killed him in the pub yeah, last night. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Like, whatever yeah. it might be and just reincorporate stuff that's already happened uh, but yeah, that's, that's definitely a, te- a technique worth bearing mind. even if you're running a, a fairly straightforward game, like yeah. maybe a Cthulhu investigation or something with a, a trail of breadcrumbs set of clues and you're going to go to the manor house and that's going to happen and then you're going to get to the ritual. Like Chuck in some other stuff that makes it interesting. So halfway through the investigation where you found a dead body, like the police turn up. Yeah. Someone's been reported missing, so they're, like, they're not there to get you necessarily, but okay, the police here, and they want to just have a look around the house. What do you do about it? and that's not necessarily aligned with the rest of the plot or going to derail things going to happen it's just something interesting that's occurring that demands action and having like a bunch of those to throw at the players can really add to the dynamism of the session and make it more interesting rather than just a straightforward a to b to c kind of plot
2: yeah and a lot of those things as well can be i think a theme through a lot of these things is have have a, a they can be positive, they can be negative, or most of them should be mixed. Yeah, if you see what I mean? It might be an advantage, might be disadvantage, depending on how it plays. You could maybe get an advantage from that subplot. I'm trying to like let's continue the army metaphor because <laughs> might might actually when you tell the story, it might actually become an ally who you could use in future, or it might be you know you've actually made an enemy. They're gonna they're gonna be in your way. They're gonna tip off to the people that you you just don't know. Have again, it's about that thing about having things hanging in the air that that could be resolved either way mm. links a lot to i think i, th- I think it's just in alexander again on, on the Alexandrian about that thing about prepping situations not plots yes so having exciting situations with lots of ways it could be resolved ready and particularly with subplots and like I say particularly in cthulhu where investigative games you often do have to have a plot you know there are a few notable exceptions but you're often making your way through the clues to find out what's happened mm-hmm. so the subplots and the bits that happen around that have multiple ways that they can be resolved and have multiple ways that they could be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on how the players play it or how things go or what other interactions the other players have and their subplots have in it.
1: Yeah, and I've mentioned the, the word a couple of times, so I'll bring it up again. Reincorporation yeah. is something that you should definitely look to do. So it's like we've been doing just throughout this cast of the, the guy with the army and the medal and whatever. Like, yeah. That was just one one shot saying, like someone's got a soldier background and we're, we're already riffing on yeah. things that that could be. So, you can keep bringing things back, and if it is the police who came around while you're investigating the body and you, you managed to bribe them out of the way or something like maybe later on you bribe them to give you some information from um, headquarters yeah. where we're getting some files off them or whatever else, or if you annoy them, maybe they go out of the way to like just mess yeah. with it just for the sake of it and keep showing up at the really opportune moments. And then they become that thing, it's
2: like it's always these two again, yeah. just when we're going to do this thing, just when we're breaking the morgue. God, what are yeah. they doing here yeah Look, that thing about use the same NPC generally unless yeah. there's a compelling reason to you know make it the same policeman each time that they end up speaking to and, and have that recurring NPC in because it it just allows another relationship to develop to develop and another interaction to work with and if you've done a session zero thing where you've got contacts and locations and so on I think it's that thing of every time you want to bring a new location or a new contact in, just look at that sheet first and say, well, do I need a new one or is the one already here that I've already been given and that we already know about who could be doing it? You know, it could be even something as really, really simple as having, I mean, I I did this in the, in the Star Trek game, having the same Romulan captain keep cropping up. Like there wasn't, it wasn't particularly planned. Part of it, I'll be honest, was, you know, you look for good Star (laughs) Trek art. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I've got, I've got the art now for it and it was a good picture of a, a Romulan captain. So, like there wasn't even that much role-playing banter of it but it was just that every time you got in trouble in the neutral zone it was her that showed up like the players you all ended up hating it it's like oh no it's her again and she knows everything else we've done and she's been reporting to it and then then like then she comes back after a few weeks and she's been promoted and she's in charge of a fleet and it's you know really simple stuff like that use the same characters really powerful technique
1: yeah definitely definitely and and it can work like not just as antagonists, but it works. So like there'll be people you start caring about. Yeah. Like in yeah. *Blades of the Dark* game we've been playing. I, like I think I introduced the first week or something, just some guy called Toadie, because someone asked. Yeah. Like I think they broke into a, a blue coat station, like a police station downstairs, and you you break busting someone out. And it's like, well, who else is there? Oh, well, Toddy's there as well. and just made up another gang yeah. member that was happened to be in the cells as well. He got out there, and since then, because we've got Rotting GM chairs, other people kind of running and stuff, and. Yeah. You know, we've got to the point where he's like a fully developed character, and, and Shane ran a game where had has couched, and we're like, oh god, I need to get him back. Oh, <laughs> yeah. he's our favourite.
2: He's, like a... he's the R2-D2 of the series. He's the right? actually <laughs> the protagonist of it all. Like, it's <laughs> actually a game all about yeah, I mean, but, that's...
1: but that came from nothing. That was just, you know, again, like you said, a throwaway NPC with a one-word, one five-letter <laughs> name has <laughs> suddenly become the main character in this uh, ongoing drama
2: yeah and that's that's a good I, I think things like sharing gm duties and so on it's although it's you know it, it's not not always the most straightforward thing but that's that's been really good for me as a, as one of the gms in that rotating group to really think about that so yeah we had a we had a character at the end of the first session i think we, we got a getaway didn't we on a, a gondolier and we made sure we found out oh, there's a gondolier who's deaf so we'll get him so that when we're talking about what we've just done he won't hear us and so i was running next week and so i immediately showed up this obviously lip reading gondolier where his translator (laughs) comes in and says yeah i heard about all that stuff you did last week we've got a job for you because you seem like really 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 dangerous guys and just sort of flip that on its head that Mm -hmm. yeah that that throwaway npc that we found so we'll just make sure it's someone who can't hear us oh right okay but of course you know it's it's not as simple as that plot twist yeah Yeah.
1: (laughs) and if you don't want to go full-on swapping gem rails about you can do little bits of it, so something I've used before now is, certainly if parties split up, if it's yeah. maybe it doesn't work as much with D&D whenever he's together all the time as a party, but more investigative games like Veston or Cthulhu, or whatever, where people might go for twos and threes, is you can get other players to play NPCs, yeah. especially if you've got like a little flash card, and just have like three pointers, like aspects in or whatever it might be, about like, oh, this guy's uh, grumpy, he knows this, and something else, you know, he's got red hair, whatever, some physical characteristic, and you can give it to a, another player, and say okay, you're playing whatever Uncle Jeff, who's in the mansion. you have to go like, and and sit back from it. So that's one where you do have to get the players on board with that idea, because some people are uncomfortable about playing more than one character. But you know, games like Remember Tomorrow has like a just a big pile of character sheets in the middle of the table, and each scene you pick one out and play it, and it might be the same one, might be different one, you might swap them. But you can do it in a more traditional game just by like letting other other players. Uh, flesh out the NPCs that are going to be in your game. the game. The one I found it, I used most in was Tales from the Leap. Yeah. Because you're playing kids, it's a bit like uh, Stranger Things if you've not played it. But all the kids are going to have parents. Yeah. There's a GM coming up with like, I don't know, if you've got five players, you need to yeah. come up with like maybe 10 parents yeah. and maybe brothers and sisters as well and all of like. That's a lot of weight for a GM to carry yeah. to make them all different. So it's, it's you can kind of just go like, oh, well, you know, Guy, you're playing Martin's sister. Yeah. Like, yeah. what's she like? And you could make a really bratty or you could make a really devout to her older brother or whatever it might be but sharing that out amongst players i think really helps so that might even be a, a sorcerer thing because you i think you played the demon someone else played your demon or something like that
2: yeah it's in that i think it was in wraith as well wasn't it it's wraith, wraith yeah. had a someone thing you where know, the shadow. player to your yeah. left yeah. plays your shadow and i've seen games where people played it face to face where they had like masks like actual masks at the table yeah. so when you're playing the shadow you put the mask on so it's clear to do it and it it
1: it's, it's in monsters and other childish things as well, but the problem I found with that is that you're like a kid who's got an imaginary monster but it's actually a real monster that yeah. only kids can see is that people tend to have more fun playing the monsters <laughs> yeah. and like it's really hard getting anyone yeah. to get back into kid character again because they're all busy playing now the or something <laughs> yeah
2: yeah yeah I think the the introducing GM roles is it, so so one of the techniques that, that I use quite a lot is in 13th age um, it's in the GM kit actually for that, but it's, it's quite a standard thing is the the travel montage?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: where you basically sort of stop the game you've got to, you've got to go on a big journey or explore something or we'll have a, a, a scene like like in fellowship of the ring where they're crossing the mountains and you see you sort of zoom in on various but it's, it's all done a helicopter view so you don't you don't sort of resolve things face you, you stop the game and and basically take it in turns to describe the next obstacle the party faces and the next person yeah you describe what the next obstacle is the next player des- describes how you overcome it like nobody rolls any dice just you know, everyone's in the GM seat there. Um, as a GM, you might add a few twists to just keep it on track or foreshadow other stuff that's coming up. And then they describe the next obstacle, and you go around the table like that, and you come up with um, often like a really exciting sort of montage of action. And you can have combat in there. You can have you can have like perilous climbs and what would be skill challenges in there. You can have all kinds of stuff. And the players often come up with loads of weird and wonderful things. And I've I've used this quite a lot of convention games not not just i generally always use it when i'm on 13th age but even with other even in other games I've, I've dropped it into like conan and torg and so on and i've I, I would say i've only had once had somebody come up with something that was like really didn't fit the setting at all and it was <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I, I was there for that i think i think it was exploring a, the chaos waste in Glarantha and somebody came up with the an expensive pub that you didn't realize was that expensive. I think it, I think it was a satirical comment on the expo bar prices. I think that was yeah, what was going it, yeah. And, and obviously my, my twist as a GM had to be a little bit stronger though. It's like, oh, and suddenly it's an illusion and brew attack. Like it wasn't a pub at all, you know, just to bring it back <laughs> in time. But literally that's, that's one in maybe like 60 players doing montages where it's not been a really excellent idea and has come through and, and, and done it. So that, that'll work for, for any sort of game yeah where you want to hand over that description it's it's better when it's sort of weird dangerous wilderness mm-hmm. because then you can come up with whatever but you know it can work in you know you can, you can do dungeon exploration like that rather than kind of count squares on the map you can say right okay you're going to go down the dungeon to get to level three let's just do this as a montage and, and zoom in and zoom out of what people are doing
1: yeah that that's something else that sort of comes from uh blaze in the dark as well and like in terms of scenes you can yeah determine whether to zoom in or zoom out and it's like oh you need to get um this mystical key from the drum or something. Like how interested are we in that? You can do it as a fully fledged score, you could just do it yeah. as like one dice roll to see whether you've done it or not. Maybe everybody takes a turn you do it as a group action. That kind of thing. So that, that's definitely something you can do with other games. It's as you've discussed previously, like we want to like engage with mechanics generally. Yeah. So if you're playing D D there's probably like a limit to how many times you just zoom out of the fight and yeah, like just make one dice roll and see if you win or lose, because if you're playing D and D, presumably you want to use all the crunchy rules that come with it. Yeah. Otherwise, why are you playing D and D? But yeah, like um, Pendragon, for example, I've had that before where someone's just like been in a duel and said, "Well, we'll just roll once." Yeah, like we could slug it out until someone gets a critical or whatever else. But let's just like roll one set of dice and see who comes out best. And they then you describe it as a series of blows, and maybe you can do some backwards and forwards about the description of it. But yeah, you can definitely zoom out or speed things up if you don't feel like there's a lot of interest in it like don't bog yourself down with bits that nobody really cares about but you're rolling dice for the sake of it you know skip to the end
2: yeah i think i think burning wheel had that really explicitly didn't it that you can Mm -hmm. you know when you start playing it just do opposed skill skill roles for everything and but then once you're more into it you can use these duel of wits or fight rules which are incredibly complicated from memory um, and required to select your actions ahead of time and see how the interactive stuff so you can you can choose whether it's an important fight or whether it's something you want to just abstract into the background and so yeah
1: on. and the, the other thing for burning Wheel is let it ride as well where if you've mm-hmm. made your stealth roll you've made your stealth roll now well, i don't uh, I've, I've played quite a few games as well even some recently where it's like i've made a stealth roll to do something and then the gym makes me roll another one at a certain yeah. point. God, I think you need another one now, and it's like really, because <laughs> if I keep making stealth rolls, sooner or later I'm going to fail one. Like that's just how statistics work.
2: Like, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think yeah, and I I think I yeah, let it ride is really powerful thing, and, and things like if you have made the stealth roll, I generally rule it as you can sneak past those guards. Then yeah, like whatever you can sneak past them tonight, you can sneak back out past them. You know, that's even even like tomorrow under the same conditions, if you need to go back into the palace, if it's those guards on, if it's their shift you can probably sneak past them because we've established in fiction they didn't see it last night they're not going to see it tonight you know mm. just let that roll ride or similarly if you fail you're not going to get in you need to come up with something else you can't just wait and try again the next night and try and right. you, you need to change the you know you need to change the angle of attack or or, or, or shift something in the fiction and um, before you can go in right yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, and similarly you can do you can do it the other way of like not roll the dice until it matters. Yeah. So if you come up with some like elaborate plan for setting these explosive charges on the river barge and they might go off and they might not like roll the demolitions now. And if you fail it, people will go like, oh, well, we'll try again. Or I'll get someone else to look at it or <laughs> yeah. like, they know they failed. So they're like, so you leave the demolition skill roll or whatever it is. to right until the, when yeah. someone presses the plunger, like when it matters, then roll the dice, we can, you know. Yeah. We'll kind of double check it. Yeah, you double check it. It's like you some of your best work, you think, <laughs> yeah, yeah, is yeah, it yeah. though? I mean, I don't know until we actually get to midnight and you press the plunger. Nobody knows. We'll find out, you know. Yeah, yeah. So do, do, be, be judicious with your dice rolling, like you know. Don't don't be. I think we all do. I, I sometimes get bogged down on making perception rolls or what. Like something that'll be like because there's a skill in the character sheet. Yeah. I will oh, I make a this roll because it's there, and you know.
2: Yeah, I well
1: maybe take a pause as gems to think about whether you need to or not, and, and like say use them either. Now to back them for later, or don't roll them till later when it matters, or whatever. Like, yeah, mess around I, with it.
2: Love it. I'd point you to I went on it's barely a blog post, it's more of a rant about perception, I think, um, <laughs> yeah. about a year ago. Just about how, how, how rubbish a skill it often is. Like, mm-hmm. and how often you see in adventures or make a perception roll to find out something that you absolutely, definitely need to find out. Mm. Like, somebody's got to notice this for it to be of any interest whatsoever. And everyone's testing it, so if somebody is going to, uh, unless nobody does. It, it's just a sort of role for the sake of it. Mm. Like, what are better ways to do it? Like, what would happen if we didn't have the perception skill, and okay. we had to test, you know, survival if you're outdoors or dungeoneering if you're if you're underground, and different people are good at different things. Or if we didn't use it for that, I think Pathfinder Two has perceptions, your initiative role. Yeah. If, unless you unless you're trying to ambush someone, perceptions your initiative role because it's how alert you are. And now that's that's a a genuine game use for the for the skill that makes it useful mm-hmm. and has has an impact in the fiction rolling to see if you notice the thing that's happening isn't really search roles as well for, it's probably even more common in you know old call of Cthulhu adventures with spot hidden yeah but someone's got to make the spot hidden role or you're not going to find the one clue that you need to get to the next part of the adventure so if you don't you have to just wait until somebody else dies and go and search their bedroom instead you know it's, yeah uh,
1: I, yeah I'd I point listeners back to our uh, podcast on investigative games and some others that we have in the catalog about yeah. it yeah so I can, I can do my rant again about playing the the clue again I think it' was the one of the balloon ones where everybody has to make an int roll and if they all fail you tell them the clue anyway it's like why are they all making int rolls then yeah. it's not even a skill I get a check-in to try and improve it's a stat one. Yeah. like why I screamed at the page when I read it funnily enough when I played it I didn't get the place to do that I just gave no. the information but
2: yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think there's another th- thing th- th- that hints on another thing here about you know published adventures, and it, it might be easy to think if you're running a published adventure, um, well, that like these kind of things about you know giving players a bit more narrative heft and being a bit more indie about it won't fit in a published adventure. But I I, I don't think that's the case at all. I think that w- when you're a published adventure, you've got a really good guidance for how you could run it, mm-hmm. but certainly you can take you know work out which bits have to happen and which bits don't have to happen and be prepared to you know take the rails off at bits and 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 let let the players go go with it and if you you know like like you said if you're reading a bit and thinking this is stupid just change it you know they're not Hmm. it's a set of guidelines for one way to run a game um that has been play tested by a number of groups or not and adapted based on what some groups said was good and some groups didn't. If you look at that, this and think, oh, my group's not going to do that or that's not going to work in a con game or whatever, just change it. It's your game. You've got ownership of it. It's not, you know, there's nothing special about it. You know, the, 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 even, even, even in so-called like classic adventures from like big name designers, you know, rip stuff out, change stuff, adapt stuff, do stuff differently. I, I'm forever like taking out chase scenes and putting in skill challenges or... You know, just <laughs> having some kind of some kind of or sticker montage in this bit—that's loads of roles of wilderness survival instead to make it a bit more exciting. You know, yeah. nothing's set in stone when you come to that, and be confident to change it and adapt it to your players and your tastes.
1: Yeah, and I think in most the vast majority of cases, you've got like the designers' permission to do that. Like oh, yeah. any designers we have talked on the podcast, any like four words in books I read, whatever—it it all just says like you own this button. it's yours Do what you want, kind of thing. So like, don't be. We... I don't know. We've got this strange built-in thing, haven't we? This game it's like, like you said before about certain learned behaviors. Like yeah. one of them is like, "Oh, I've got to run this as it's written because you know, obviously this must be the best way of doing it." Oh, not really. Not, not for your group because no one's ever going to be able to write a scenario that is yeah. correct for every single group that's out there because everybody's different and plays in different ways. So it can't possibly be correct for everyone.
2: Completely, completely. And a, and a good, I mean, and if you're interested, if you know, it's easy for us to say, you know, change an adventure to like, you might be sat here listening saying, but like, how, what, what do I change? What, what do uh, a, I suppose a good primer would be if you, if you pick up Rhyme of the Frostmaiden or Descent into Avernus um, two previous podcast guests, Justin Alexander and Mike Shea, Sly Flourish have both done basically deep dive reskins of those campaigns on their blogs. And so read the two of them next to each other and they change it in different ways both mm-hmm. times, if you see what I mean. So just yeah. examples of what you might shift, what you might do from really simple things like there are 10 missions in Chapter 1, you do not have to do 10 missions. That would be dull. You know, Pick five or six that are good. These are the ones I think that are good. You know, Two, it doesn't really make sense for this NPC to not appear again. And this bit where this person tells you all the answers after you've spent ages investigating it is a bit rubbish. Take them out mm-hmm. and let the players find it out differently. So that's, that's a good primer. If there are blogs that you can read that do deep dives of adventures and talk about how they've changed it or even you know even if you can bear it actual play reports they often take some sifting through because you often get it, it can often be like i don't know watching a three-hour actual play but without the entertainment of people doing the funny voices and <laughs> um, they, they can be quite lengthy and find it's but 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 listening and, and seeing how somebody's played through an adventure that's published is a good way to see what changes and what doesn't um and i'm sure like we've both been in situations where designers or writers are running their own adventures and their own systems at a table and they change it all the time as well so like we've definitely got permission because they do it like they're not they're not doing it exactly as it's down the page because they have the freedom to do it and that's not just their their like prerogative because they wrote it that that's how we should do it
1: yes yeah absolutely yeah, uh, and we we have got a YouTube channel for the smart parties, but well, we haven't done anything for it for, for ages now, but you can go back and that and one of the cool things we did was play a one shot as written, as close yeah. as we could, which is really hard <laughs> if you're if you're doing all the things that we do now and talked about on this podcast, like it's hard to not change them to make them better or to adapt to your group. Uh, but we we tried as best we could and uh, then we did like an extra session afterwards where we talked about what we changed to make the game better for us. Um, so check that out if you want some more examples, and maybe we'll return to that. But I, I don't think any of us can face having to go through scenarios exactly as they're written. Yeah. Like it's just the wrong way to run scenarios. You you need to add your own flavour and spin to it.
2: Definitely, definitely.
1: Cool. Well, we're getting towards the end of the hour, okay, So have you have you any more stuff on your list that you need to mention quickly before we uh, start wrapping up?
2: No, I think we've covered uh, most of it. I would point people towards um, towards the blog where there has been a recent my blog, which there has been a recent post on this and there's other stuff about perception and so on. Um, I'm even in the process of getting sorta to maybe do some actual play YouTube things as well, looking at maybe shorter actual plays than you tend to get on YouTube. So shorter than four or five hours. <laughs> um, <laughs> um which which would be focused around some of the stuff on the blog and using these techniques. Um, so yeah, the smart party one is 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 really good. Hopefully there'll be a burn after running one when I get myself upskilled to actually set it up and do it and so watch this space um for those to be up there
1: exciting times yeah and for uh all our listeners and followers thanks very much for your support if you share the channel if you check out guys blog if you go and look at youtube whatever it is you do uh, maybe even go to patreon and throw us a few shackles to help us pay the internet man for his costs and so new microphones and things like that that all helps us out thank you very much uh, while you're on the Patreon site, you can check out... We have got um actual player there starring Mr. Guy Milder, amongst others, when we did uh, some Agon actual mm-hmm. player. Uh, if you want examples of... You know how did you fail, or how did it not work for you, and how did it succeed after every action? Yeah. there's many of them. Certainly, I think the second island there was like a lot of failure. So, that, that if you want examples <laughs> of failure? Yeah, yeah. Session two one. is
2: the one to go to. Yeah, <laughs> definitely, that's just brought back a, that traumatic memory actually. Of how bad we were, we were yeah. so confident after island one. We like, oh, it's brilliant, we're, we're demigods. This is oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And it's also another good example of um, a throwaway character. One of the characters that I just introduced as a one line was a scribe that was noting down all the exploits of the heroes, but doing it his own way. And he became one of the most hated figures on the ship. From the PC's point of view, the NPCs loved him. Clearly, yeah. it was
2: that. It was after that island when he started transcribing honestly what had happened, rather than what was right. telling people. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But uh, as you can see, uh, all these techniques and things we're talking about, we're not just um, making them up or trying to sound clever. It's stuff we generally use in games and we can now look back on something we played last year and think yeah, that was cool and have memories of the game so definitely give it a go. Until next time dear listeners, thanks for listening. Cool.
2: Cheers.